You made it here on Mother's Day. Can you give yourself a hand? You could have been out at brunch already, and you came to church to worship the Lord, and we want to welcome you and thank you for that. Uh, I'm excited to dive into our teaching here this morning. We're kicking off a brand new teaching series. I've never done this on Mother's Day. We're starting a a four-week teaching series this morning on the book of Ruth. So I'm going to invite you to power on your Bibles or turn on the one in the book rack to the Old Testament after Judges in the book of Ruth, and we're going to dive into that. As you do that, for those who have free hands, can you welcome those who are attending live online right now? We're glad that you're here and help you connect with God right where you're at. Uh, I love Mother's Day. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to have had an amazing mom. I'm going to talk a little bit about her this morning. Uh, she's still around a great-grandmother. But I saw the sacrifice my mom went through for us. And, you know, you don't have to be a mom here to understand what it's like to live for the good news of Jesus and sacrifice for others, to help those in need and proclaim your faith as a follower of Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we have no expectation for you, but I want to share with you the God that loves us, desires relationship with us, and actually, in the middle of the hard things of life, can utilize the valleys to bring about the greatest outcomes and purposes that we can't see yet. And that's what this morning is really about. Uh, I wanna tell you, I don't know what the hardest thing that you've ever been through in life. I've been through a number of hard things, but I think about, uh, this wasn't as hard as me as it was for my wife, but it was a difficult season when we had our first child. Jake's now 13 years old, but we were living in Southern California. And um, when he was born, Lisa had uh, a number of physical problems that occurred, and she had to spend the night in the ICU. We weren't sure if she was going to make it. And then in the middle of all of that, praise God, like, she's healthy, Jake's healthy. And then we get back to the, the apartment that we're living in, and she gets such a bad headache, she can't sit up. It took us a week to figure out she had a spinal headache, that she was actually leaking fluid from her spinal column. And she could not sit up in bed, could not do anything with Jake. I don't know if you knew me as a 26-year-old young man. I was not qualified to parent a child, that's for sure. (laughs) And I had to take care of Jake. And I remember uh, that season just hurting for Lisa. And then Jake started uh, vomiting everywhere, found out that he actually had jaundice. So that was fun took him to the doctor. Literally, he's in the doctor's office and it just, it went everywhere. And I get him back home and they're like, you got to get him under the sun. It's pouring down rain in Southern California. Monsoons, no sun. Then the water began to come into the back house that we were living in. And I woke up that next morning. My wife can't sit up in bed. She's got a spinal headache. She's leaking spinal fluid. My son won't stop crying. He's turning yellow because he's got jaundice, but there's no sunlight out. And we have an inch of water across the carpet of our living room. And I remember just going, God, that is enough. You've been there? The the story that we're going to look at today Like, Naomi here, she's had it. It's enough, God. I'm not taking any more. I have had enough. And if you're here today, I want to ask you this question. What do you do when life gets hard? You know, as Brooke was praying, you know, some of you, Mother's Day brings on some emotional things for all kinds of different reasons. What do you do when life gets hard 
I bet you've had hard seasons, but I'm going to probably suggest this morning that you have not been through what Naomi went through in this passage. You ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. It says this in Ruth chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Milan and Kilian. Stop there, pause. See, we all just read that, and it was like a bunch of blue blah blah that means nothing to us. But I want to tell you what's happening here. So God has allowed a famine to occur. They don't have any food anywhere in the land in, in Judah, where Bethlehem is. And, which is kind of ironic, because the name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So this guy has to leave the town that's called House of Bread because he's got no food to feed his family. He leaves there and goes to a pagan country where they worship the god Shamash, who one of the ways that you worshiped him was through child sacrifice. So he leaves the god, and ironically, do you know what Elimelech means? My god is my king. So the guy who says, my God is my king, no longer trusts God in his own land, in the town that's called House of Bread, to feed him, because during the time of Judges, it was a 300-year period with some of the worst uh, history in Israelite history. In fact, this uh, summer, we're doing a uh, shortened teaching series on the book of Judges. Book of Judges is the most horrific book in the entire Bible. And it's kind of summarized in one verse, a generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done. But that's for the coming months. It's during this time period where there's all kinds of strife and anger and fighting, and they've entered into the promised land. They're supposed to be happy. They don't have food, and God allows a famine to occur to shape them to rely on him rather than on themselves. The other ironic thing here in this passage, so Naomi has this supposedly godly husband who no longer trusts God, moves him to a pagan country to find food, and they name their kids Milan and Kilian. Do you know what that means? Milan is sickness, and Kilian means puny. They named the kid Peewee. And in, in Israelite customs, you would often name your children off of, the, off of the experiences that people are going through during that time and context. And so their lives are so bad, they name their kids sickness and puny. They've left the land of God to go to this false God, pagan country where they do child sacrifice because my God is my king, no longer trusts his God as king. There's a lot of irony here. It goes on, it says, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. <laughs> Wasn't bad enough that they named their kids that, they left their, everybody they knew and they didn't have food, then her husband dies. So now she's a single mom with two boys in a foreign land where she knows no one, and she's gonna make it on her own. And then she finally raises her sons and they get married, and look what happens. And it says Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, so they married pagan women. Great job. One named Orpah. We're going to talk about Orpah. Orpah literally means stiff-necked. Another great name. And the other Ruth, which means friend or companion. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Milan and Kilian 
also died. So, uh, women in the room, here's what happens. You, uh, your husband doesn't trust God anymore, so he leaves town to go to a place in a foreign country where they worship a pagan God through child sacrifice. You have no friends, you have no family, and then he dies. Thanks. Then after that, you do the hard work of raising these sons on your own to find them women, only they choose women who are godless women, which is a whole nother issue, and then they do that, and then they die too. And now it's just you in a foreign country where they worship Shamash and you're stuck there with your daughters-in-law. How many of you want that life? (laughs) And in that moment, she finds herself, Naomi finds herself in the lowest valley she could ever possibly imagine. And she can't see her ever getting out of that valley. And we're going to deal with tragedy this morning, hardship. And what do you do when life gets hard? The main thing I just want to share with you is, is when she's in the valley, that God's comeback story starts in the valley sometimes. And so if you're here this morning and you're in a season of hurt, you're in a valley, you're struggling and you're in your life with your kids, your marriage, your dating habits, you're struggling at work, you've lost your passion and purpose, this morning is for you. And I want you, if you forget everything else, to know that God sees you this morning. He loves you more than any human being ever will. And you may not see the good things to come in your life, the comeback story that God's got, but he's going to walk with you through it, even if you reject him. And that's what I want to talk about. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for every person here that got up on this beautiful Sunday morning to come and worship you. God, in person, online, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit with us right now. God, take my words away. I got nothing good to share. But I know, God, I know through your word that you can pierce through time and space to the direct context and culture we live in, the struggles that we're enduring, and speak to our souls this morning, Lord Jesus. We surrender this time to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. You know, I was thinking about when things get hard and raising kids, it is Mother's Day, and moms, you know this better than anything, uh, what do kids, when they're real young and they haven't matured yet, what do they do when things get hard? <laughs> I was going to say quit. They were like, whine and complain. <laughs> well, that's probably more accurate. Uh, it happens to us all the time. You know, like if you're in a sport or you're in math and your kid is like, this is hard. I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't. We got this saying in our house that, uh, you know, hoospins don't give up. We don't say, I can't. Uh, my daughter, who is the princess in the family, like, and I'm not making that, like, I, I swear wolves could raise her and she would still be an amazing young woman, um, which is kind of why I'm her father. But she, uh, she recently, I tried to get her into all kinds of sports. Uh, I tried everything, right? And she chose the one sport that like, I know absolutely nothing about, cheerleading. <laughs> and she, she decided to get into this and she, she's nine, and she recently, like, just recently got into it. She's, she's doing the cartwheels and the roundoffs and all of that kind of stuff. And she's been trying to do, I got it right now, a back kickover. Is that correct? Yes. Cheerleader, thank you. One person knew what I was talking about. A back kickover. It's not the back handspring yet. It's just the back kickover. I'm learning these things. And she was working hard, and she couldn't do it. And she wanted to give up. I can't. I 
can't do it. And then my wife, being the amazing mom that she is, she's like, you can do this. You can do this. And it's so cool. She's done it a few times and starting to get the confidence. And you can see it in her eyes. She needed someone else to encourage her to not give up, that she could do something that seemed impossible. See, we can see that in children who want to give up when things are hard. But I want to tell you spiritually as an adult, sometimes it's way easier spiritually to give up when life throws you a curveball and to just cash in your chips, spend years or even decades of your life just surviving and not pursuing a greater purpose with your life. And if that's you this morning, I want you to hear chapter one of the book of Ruth. Perseverance when life gets hard is a part of spiritual maturity, not just maturity for a child. When life gets hard in this passage, three things happen. One, Naomi gives up, which totally makes sense. I'm not judging Naomi. So if you're here and you've given up on some things, welcome to the club. Look what Naomi does here in verses six through nine. When Naomi heard in Moab, again, this foreign country where she knows no one, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, back in Jerusalem, that is, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road and would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and me. May the Lord grant that each of you will rest in the home of another husband. She's like, I know that like the right thing would be for you to come with me, but I don't want you to feel that pressure. You can be released. You don't have to stay with this widow and be widows for the rest of your life because no one's going to take you now. You can go back to your home, find another husband, and you can get through life and still find happiness. Don't stay with me because my life is a mess. In fact, by the end, you're going to see that she wants people to call her Mara. If your name's Mara, it's a great name, but it means bitter. And she's like, call me Mara because I am bitter. You been there? Where she's just like, if I'm, if I'm Naomi in this passage, I'm wallowing in my own self-pity. Like God has done this to me. I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. Stay away from me. I might as well just give up. She's throwing in the towel. Some of you, it would be easier for you right now. If we're being honest, spiritually speaking, young adults in the room even, not just talking to the moms, it would be easier for you to give up on following the Lord than it would be to do the hard work of developing dating habits that honor God. It would be easier for you to give up on your marriage than it would be to do the hard work of working on the spiritual, emotional, and, and other things that are causing issues in your relationship. It would be easier for you to throw in the towel at work and not deal with some of the traumatic things that you're having to go through or the conflict that you're experiencing. It would be easier to cut your relatives out of your life and not deal with the problems. I'm not telling you not to have boundaries, but it would be easier just to give up. Some of you, it would be easier to give up on hope that you will ever have any good thing in your life because for whatever reason, things don't go right for you the way they do for those people on Instagram. And I want to tell you that the scriptures teach us over and over again to keep fighting for things that spiritually matter. 
to fight for your kids, to fight for your marriage, to fight through financial debt, to fight through the struggles and the problems that you're enduring and honor God in the process. That's why in Hebrews chapter 13 in the New Testament, it says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, what? Never, never will I leave you until you made that bad decision last weekend and then he's forsaken you and he's never coming back. That's the way we process it. Never, he says, never will I leave you. Ever, 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 ever. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Naomi's thrown in the towel. She's given up. She can't see the comeback story because she's in the valley. She can't see over the hill in the distance. And so she just believes she's always going to be there. So why not wallow and just stay there? Now, we talked recently about the spiritual battle that we find ourselves in in this culture and society. And I want to tell you, the enemy wants you to do that very thing. Just stay there. You can't do any different. Your life's always going to be this way. You're always going to be an addict. Your kids are always going to have problems. Your grandkids are always going to be that way. Culture's going to hell in a handbasket, so you might as well go too. Just give up. I don't want to tell you this morning that the Spirit of God says, no, you may feel like you're forgotten, alone, not married, no kids, no job, no hope, no community, no purpose, no energy, no passion, but God's not forsaken you. He has a comeback story in your future. It just may not be what you had envisioned your life to look like. I want to show you what happens in Naomi's life because number two, when the hard things come, Naomi gives up, but I think the next one actually represents most of us in modern American culture. Orpah just leaves. Orpah leaves. Look at verse uh, 9b with me. It says, Then she kissed them goodbye, Naomi did, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to to your people. So both Orpah and and Ruth, the daughters-in-law, both say, We're not going to leave you. We're going to stay with you. We'll go with you. But then Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm going to have, am I going to have any more sons? Who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? That'd be creepy. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud. And then there are two responses. Orpah begins to reflect a little bit. And she's like, you know what? I wasn't going to say it, but that's kind of true. And so look what Orpah does. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. And she's gone. And that's the last we're going to hear of Orpah. It's always easier to leave. It's always easier to leave people when they're struggling, when they're struggling with addiction. It's easier to leave people when they're struggling in their marriage and just avoid it because it's messy. It's easier to leave, you know, not deal with your kids. You don't actually have to physically leave, right? Like sometimes, gotta be honest, as a a dad, sometimes I just like check out and I like go to a room somewhere and I just get the phone out and I just, it's just easier to avoid the problems. Orpah leaves, she avoids the problems. We do this all the time in our culture. Let's be honest for just a second. Sometimes you see on social media people that you have close relationships or family members who are sharing hurting things that they probably shouldn't share publicly with everybody, but they did it. And so sometimes you enter into that conversation 
And other times, better make sure that you don't hit like or care on that because then they'll know you read it and then you'd have to follow up. And so it's easier just to pretend like you don't know at all. There are many ways that we leave relationship and what God calls us to enter into. We'll look here in a second. Ruth doesn't do that. It says, but Ruth clung to her. But Ruth clung to her. But let's, let's talk about Orpah for just a second. It's always easier to leave than to stay and help. It's easier to ignore poverty and the problems that single moms are enduring than it is to enter into those problems and issues. It's easier to talk about discipling people, and if you're a Christian, discipling people in your life, but never doing anything about it, than it is to enter into a year-long discipling relationship where you're inviting the people that you're discipling and their problems into your life. It's always easier to avoid and leave than to enter in. It's easier to avoid troubled teens and the things that they're going to and just blame them for being teenagers rather than entering into the problems that they're actually experiencing. What I've loved about our church for 10 years, if you're new to Mercy Road, this is my favorite thing. Other people have favorite things. My favorite thing has been the decentralized approach of empowering the priesthood of all believers in your community and context to not have to delay solving the problems that you see in front of you. In other words, when your outpost sees someone hurting, you don't have to go to the church board and go, let's create a program over the next three years together to address this issue. You can just enter into that person's life and begin to fix the issue. Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, we had an outpost, which is a community on mission. It's kind of the end of our engagement pathway after you've been through Rooted and you've been discipled to get in a, a family on mission uh, that we call outposts. And we had an outpost that was the microchurch version meeting in, an, in a home in Zionsville. Really nice house, uh, a number of uh, probably, you know, more wealthy families. And they were coming together and they were doing a Bible study. They're probably doing the latest Francis Chan study. It was really great. And they were growing spiritually and they began to go, but we want to make an impact. And they decided that, man, where they really felt God calling them was to impact single moms. So they did what most of us do as Christians. They met in their nice suburban home for the next three months, and majority of them married couples and talked about how they could help single moms and didn't help any single moms. And then the Spirit of God got a hold of them. And rather than being stiff-necked, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, they responded in obedience to what the Spirit was doing. And they said, you know what? We're not going to help single moms hanging out here every Tuesday night. We got to go to where single moms are. So they started meeting in the clubhouse of an apartment complex in Northwest Indianapolis. And they decided, you know what? We're going to help the moms in this community. At the same time, isn't it random how God works sometimes? We got contacted by Walmart and Noblesville. Why? How they got our name? I don't know. But they were like, hey, we've got like 40 brand new bikes that have little things wrong, they were returns, and we'll give them to you for free if you want them. You just have to fix the little stuff. So we paid somebody a little bit of money, fixed all these 40-some bikes up, and then that uh, outpost took all of those bikes and they gave them to, it was a big apartment complex, they gave them to all the kids in the apartment complex. Everybody had a brand new bike. And we didn't do any of that, God provided it all. And then here's what happened. So they thought they were gonna reach the moms first, but it was actually the kids that started coming. They ended up baptizing five high school students in a pool. 
And then that outpost grew so large that it was, at one point they were about 75 people. Uh, a, a couple who uh, were in that community actually went on staff at that apartment complex to be community developers. They still live there today. I was talking to the, the dad of, of, of the woman just this week. And then they left and they helped plant our Northwest church. But that's a whole nother story. The point being, they reached these high school students for Christ. They helped these single moms. Some of the kids went on to college that may not have gone otherwise. And it all happened in the spiritual impact that occurred. And not a single staff member did anything. See, the beautiful thing is, when we choose not to be like Orpah, to see a problem and just look the other way and walk away, but we see the issue and we enter into it spiritually, which is what Ruth is going to do, God can actually use us to be a part of the comeback story of someone else that doesn't even see it coming. I believe that's the call of, of a Christian. And here's the, the thing. I don't know if you know what, I, I mentioned Orpah means stiff-necked, right? But do you know where that, that term comes from? You probably don't because you're not a farmer. You've probably never plowed with oxen. Anybody in here? I have. I'm an expert. I did it on Oregon Trail many times. <laughs> and what I know is that the yoke goes across the oxen's neck and that when the farmer is trying to lead the oxen, they will spur them in certain directions. But a stiff-necked oxen is obstinate, stubborn, disobedient. He stiffens up his neck and is unwilling to be directed where the farmer wants to go. Throughout the Old and New Testament, God uses that analogy to talk about human beings and their unwillingness to listen to the direction of God. In fact, later in the New Testament, Stephen, who was one of the first martyrs of the faith, one of the first deacons, he says this in Acts 7, verse 51. He, he tells the people of his day, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And some of you, God has been telling you, you see that person? You can make an impact. Step in. Don't run away. Don't leave them. Don't be like Orpah. Orpah was obstinate, stubborn. She was stiff-necked. I named her that because so that you could know you don't want to be the person that leaves people in their time of need. And you say, well, why? Well, because that's the, the Savior that we serve. You may not know this, but Jesus entered into the pain of the world. He set us the example of how to live as a human being. And that if you're here today, and if you consider yourself a Christian, you've received the salvation because Christ was crucified for your sin, that he rose from the grave, overcoming death itself, that you can receive the Spirit of God, and that if you soften your heart, you can be obedient to his direction, and you can actually be used by him. And you're just like, yeah, but I didn't grow up Christian. I'm not one of those good people. I could never be used like that. Did you know that Ruth was a pagan? The Moabites sacrificed children. But Ruth listens to the stirring of God and does what is right here. Ruth stays, the third and final point. Look with me. It says, Luke said, or look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Orpah's not listening. She's stiff-necked. You should do that too because I'm worthless. Just leave me. She still can't see the hope that Ruth is about to bring. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. I love this part. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, 
I will stay. And then get this, your people will be my people and your God, my God. And I'm going to listen to what he's telling me to do. Verse 17, where you, where you die, I will die. How many of you told your mother-in-law that recently? <laughs> Mom-in-law, where you die, I will die. I'm right or die with you. Your God will be my God. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, the house of bread. When they arrived in the house of bread, Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now you would think Naomi would get it now. Finally, Ruth, friend, companion. That's what her name means. God is providing. No, she doesn't get it. She's still in the valley. She's given up all hope. Look what she tells the people that she hasn't seen in, in decades. She says, don't call me Naomi. I don't go by the name of it. She said, don't call, uh, she told them, call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Uh-uh-uh, don't call me Naomi no more. My name's Mara because I am bitter. You been there? Like anybody walks into your life and it just all pours out, the pain. And everybody can see it, but you can't feel, uh, figure out a way to dig yourself out of that hole. And that's where Naomi finds herself. But Ruth stays, and God's going to use that. In fact, it goes on in verse 21. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. See, in Naomi's eyes, this wasn't just like bad things happened to me because I'm just unlucky. It's what happens to many people who at least at one point in your life, you claimed faith in Christ. That when something hard and happened and tragedy hit, our response is not just to get angry at what has occurred or feel like we're alone, but actually to blame God. And say, God, why did you do this to me? The Lord has afflicted me. And what she can't see is God's got the greatest comeback story almost in the whole Old Testament. And she's going to be talked about for thousands of years to come, all because he's about to use Ruth, this Moabite pagan woman, to change the course of human history and change her life. You may be sitting there today and you're like, comeback story. I just want to get through the next week and still have a job. I want to tell you that God's got more for your life than just a nine to five and some fun weekends. And hopefully along the way, your kids make it physically. He actually wants to use you to give you a purpose and passion in your life. Verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. She's given up, but Ruth hasn't. Ruth does this most valuable thing that I want to tell you today, especially for the grandmothers and the fathers and the grandfathers and then the uncles and the aunts and, and the mothers in the room, the ones that want to see the hard things that you're enduring with your children. It'd be easier to throw in the towel and just give up that actually sometimes it's in the small things that we do that can make the greatest spiritual impact. Ruth's little decision to stay is going to change the course of human history. And because of Jesus' resurrection, it tells us in the New Testament in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, part of following Christ is knowing that hard things may come. Then he said to them all, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must, what? Deny themselves. I can't speak for you all, but when I think about my mom, I can't think of a better example of what it means to be a mom. 
She used to give up her time and her energy for us as kids all of the time. She, she had this thick Bible that she would take and she would pray and she would read through that, praying for us. And when I grew up and I hated church and I wanted nothing to do with it, she kept reading her Bible and she kept praying and she kept believing that God had more of a purpose for my life than just to survive and get through. And so you may think the little things that you're doing as a mom today or even just as a human being don't really matter, but denying ourselves and doing what Jesus said, picking up our cross daily and following him is a part of the most basic ways that God can use our life. Verse 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Ruth's obedience won't just lead to Naomi having a comeback story. It will also lead to the birth of Jesus. See, I don't think anybody knew that this was going on. And you can't tell what the generations to come, this, by doing the small little things of obedience and not being stiff-necked to the Spirit of God and following Him and praying and fasting and worshiping and getting up on a Sunday morning to come to a Mother's Day service when you could have been outside or going to brunch already and beating the crowds, the impact that you are making for generations to come. See, in Matthew chapter 1, it goes through the lineage from Father Abraham, remember him? All the way to Jesus and his birth. And in verses five and six, it says this, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So there's this guy, uh, Boaz, that is born and his mom is Rahab. Do you remember Rahab? She was the one in Jericho that also was a pagan woman who heard from God and said, I'm gonna give him this city, so let him in. So she puts the cord out her window and the spies come in and they are able to enter the city through Rahab's uh, a place. And it's because of that, that Rahab then marries this Jewish man named Salmon, not Salmon, and they have a child named Boaz. And Boaz, guess where he lives? In the homeland of Judah, where Naomi, and Ruth are going to go back to. In the coming weeks, we're going to see the romance begin to bud. And Ruth is going to marry Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. By the way, Obed, their son, is the grandfather of King David, which will lead to the lineage of Jesus himself. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. If you're here today and you feel your story is not redeemable, if you're too broken, you're in too much pain, you're like Naomi and you're so bitter and you're in the valley and you can't see the comeback story that is brewing, I wanna tell you what I love about God. What I love about God, if it's your first time in church in years or months and you feel distant from him, I wanna tell you today that he loves you. He has never forsaken you. He's beginning the comeback story in your life that you can't even see yet. You may have rejected him for decades, but he's gonna use your story to impact generations to come when we simply are obedient and no longer stiff-necked, but respond to where the spirit is leading us. And because Rahab and Ruth both did that, we get the birth of David and eventually the birth of Jesus. So if you're far from God and you're in a pagan family and you're like, I'm never gonna be one of those good people, I wanna tell you the Bible is full of it. Jesus chose it as his great, 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 great grandmother. 
that this godless woman named Ruth would hear from God, be obedient, be transformed, and he would use her simple obedience and listening to the Spirit to bring Naomi and others out of the valley of their life. He's got a comeback story, but you have to soften your heart. You have to say, I'm not gonna run from the pain anymore and the brokenness and the ended relationships and the anger in my family and the addictive habits. I'm not gonna run for it. I'm gonna run into it. I'm gonna see the problems that I'm enduring and the people in my life and I'm gonna stop avoiding it. I'm gonna stop you know, giving up hope and quitting. I'm gonna stop leaving and I'm gonna start staying like Ruth. I'm gonna be a friend and companion to those in need just like my Father in heaven is a friend and companion to me. He has not forsaken me. He has not given up on me. If you'd like to take that next step, soften your heart, deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. I wanna give you the opportunity to do that. God, I thank you for every person here. God, we, we have no judgment. We're just other broken human beings in this room. But God, you are the, the creator of the universe. You did it in six days. You knitted us together in our mother's womb. You've known every hair on our head. You know every decision that we would make, both good and bad. You've known what's going on in our soul. You know the hurt that we've endured, God. We already know it, so today we soften our hearts. We open up to you and we stay and we say, this is us, God. We need help. We need you with us. We need to become a person who enters in like Ruth and ultimately like you did, Jesus. So on this day, Mother's Day, 2022, if you would like to say either, I wanna surrender my life to you for the first time, or maybe I'm gonna start admitting some of the things I'm going to and I'm gonna surrender it to you and stop blaming everyone and everything in my life and ask you to help me. If that's you, pray this with me. God, on this day, I confess that I need you. I'm sorry I've been trying to do this on my own. And I do this beautiful thing. I repent of that. I turn to you and I surrender my life to you fully. Use me, Jesus. Bring my pain and my hurt and turn it into a comeback story. Bring me out of this valley and make me into the person you created me to be. Use me, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.